Fishes podcast episode 200 and what are we on 230 shit hold on a second 234 uh, <laughs> uh this week we have soup the gardener uh he is a longtime dgc supporter uh he was involved with dgc from basically the beginning uh he's been um uh integral to helping you know their huge educational platform and as well as putting out a ton of awesome content on his own and uh, just an overall great guy in the community. And uh, we thought it'd be great to have him on the show and, uh, and tell us about all the cool stuff he's up to this week. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And then we also have Marty. Thanks for joining us, Marty. How's it going, everybody? Yeah, 30. Um, before we get started, I wanted to get a couple uh, 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 things off the way. First off, I wanted to do a quick, uh, um, a quick thing again, if you're watching this, um, please, if you have a couple extra bucks, throw them over to uh, the Stony Scholar Family Relief Fund over on GoFundMe. Um, we've managed to raise 835 bucks so far for his wife. Uh, and um, it, actually, there's quite a bit more, actually. There's some, some PayPal transfers that went over there as well uh, directly to her. So um, thank you, everyone that's donated so far. And if you do have a little bit more money uh, to donate and you got five extra bucks, 10 extra bucks, please, please, please give it, uh, you know, consider uh, donating over to, to his wife. Um, you know, all proceeds go directly to his wife. Um, uh, there's no middleman or anything like that um, uh, with the fund. And um, he was a really wonderful guy. He came out all the DGC cups uh, or as many as that he could. Uh, he was there helping volunteer with everybody else and helping make sure everything went smooth. He was a really wonderful guy. When I moved out to Oklahoma, he, he drove down. He was, when he moved up to Oklahoma, he drove down to see me a couple of times. Uh, we went fishing together. He's just an overall really good dude. And um, he was killed by a drunk driver in March. So um, uh, if you're able to, and he's also a Navy veteran, which I didn't know until uh, he had passed. So uh, if you um, are, are able to donate, uh, please do. He was a really wonderful guy and he did a lot for our community. So if our community can do a little bit for him now, uh, you know, after his passing and help make his family's life a little bit easier. Um, it, it sure would help uh, uh, quite a bit. So um, uh, if you are able to give, uh, please, please do. Yeah, most definitely. All righty. Well, um, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Soup. Um, uh, and uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and what you do? Uh, you're heavily involved with the Do Grow Show, and then you also put out a lot of your own stuff. I know you got uh, some cool, interesting things queued up here for... Uh, to, to share with us as well on your screen and uh, uh, I'm excited to see what you got. Yeah, yeah, thanks again for having me. And I just, um, I got started, you know, working with the Dude Grows crew. Uh, man, like I said, I don't even remember how many years ago it was, but it was early, early in the show. At some point in the in the early numbers, I got involved and, uh, you know, started writing in and chime in, helping with the Grow Talk and, um, yeah, it just kind of grew from there. You know, I started writing articles for the guys and making content for the website. Now I kind of do work on the website and help with the community and kind of help write content for the show. Um, it's been a blast hanging out over there. I've gotten to be on the show a couple times and hanging with the guys. 
love all the events and all the fun things you've gotten to do, you know, hanging with the DGC. Gotten to, that's how I got to meet, you know, got to meet Steve, right? You know, hanging at, at DGC events and always bumping into each other, different things. So, um, yeah, man. And then a few years ago, I decided, you know, my passion is really helping, you know, home growers, you know, through answering all the questions I answered and helping people through the Dude Grows website and through the grow questions over there. I really developed a passion for trying to help new growers. You know, I loved, you know, learning to grow my own medicine really changed my life. And I just wanted to try to share that with as many people as I can. So I ended up starting my own company, uh, Growers Love. And so I'm at growerslove.com is my website. And I'm just trying to kind of build a launch pad for new growers. So if you're you or someone, you know, or someone in your family or some, you know, a friend or someone like that, you know, wants to start a garden, or if they're one of those people who, you know, likes to smoke a lot, but hasn't started to grow yet, um, send them my way. Cause that's what I do. You know, I love trying to get people started and I've got lots of guides and resources over there. And then I also partnered with, um, some of the best brands in the industry. I work with Gorilla Grow Tent, Horticulture Lighting Group and AC Infinity right now, um, to try to help people get set up with grow tents. Um, so I've actually got right behind me here in the room. I've got a two by two behind me in the office that's running right now, which is pretty fun. Um, and yeah, it's like, there's never been a greater time to fire up a grow tent. So like you can have a fun little grow in your office just like this and it's a blast. So I'm having a ton of fun over there. You know, I'm still a very small company and just kind of getting things off the ground, but I'm having a lot of fun, just like I said, helping new growers get started and helping, you know, experienced growers expand their gardens to, you know, meet its full potential and that kind of thing. That's what I love talking to people about. Um, so yeah, and then in addition to that, like I said, I still write a lot of articles and do a lot of content for Dude Grows. Um, and that includes some content I'll do sometimes about, you know, what's going on in my grow. So um, I don't know if you can see my pictures there, but uh, <laughs> this is um, an article I wrote recently that's about some living soil beds that I'm building. Uh, so these are three by three uh, grassroots fabric pot living soil beds and I uh, built some little rolling trays for them. Um, and if you go to dogrowds.com slash living soil beds, you can actually read all about them. And I actually show how I put them together, how I put together the rolling stand and all that good stuff. So if you're interested in building some nice big soil beds to play around with, there's a full tutorial there for you. Um, and then I just recently posted just like a day or two ago, part two where I talk about building soil to put in the beds and, you know, getting the beds all fired up, uh, getting some cover crops and transplanting some plants in there. So, you know, we built the beds, now we're filling them up and we're off to the races. So yeah, that's living soil beds too is uh, up now at dudegrows.com. And uh, yeah, you can just kind of see what I got going on here. Um, this is my personal room. Uh, or one of one of my many setups. Like I said, I've got a tent in the background here in my room that I'm growing in uh, that I can show you the inside of in a minute. But um, this is my main room I have out in a different building where I show people, or I, where I show people where I grow kind of my main my main thing. Um, just a personal grow for myself, but I still like to kind of go crazy with it. So this is a room I built a few years ago, and I'm always kind of upgrading and changing it. Um, so yeah, I've got the, some new HLG lights I'm hanging up over the three by three beds. Um, I got some nice cover crop going, which was a lot of fun getting like, you know, some living, living life going on in the soil. I put some cover crops some worms and some other things really getting that soil to life. Um, yeah. And then putting the plants in, you know, moving on to transplanting. We, 
um, yeah, I don't know if you have any questions. I'm kind of just zooming through all this, but um, yeah, I just, I've been having a ton of fun. Living soil beds have been my new passion and I'm just having a blast growing in them. I'm still sort of figuring out my methods, but lots of fun. <laughs> what, what did you use for your soil mix? Um, I use something pretty similar to the Coots mix. Uh, I actually cover the recipe in part two of the article. So if you want to see kind of exactly what I use, you can look it up in, uh, in this article, the dudegrows.com slash living soil beds two. But it's very similar to the Coots mix. The only difference is I'm using a little bit of alfalfa meal and I'm using less, um, less neem meal. But other than that, it's pretty much the build a soil or like the, the Clackamas Coots mix, which I've been using for many years with great success. And putting it in a really big bed too, is just really hard to screw up. So um, that's been my go-to for a while. And then what, do you, what did you use for your cover crop? Uh, for the cover crop for this run, I, uh, this run is white, a mix. It was called low growing uh, clover mix. And it's just a uh, white Dutch clover and strawberry clover, I believe. Uh, I've tried lots of different things. I actually live really close to a place uh, that sells cover crops in like hundreds of different blends. Uh, so it's kind of cool. I can go down there and just buy a pound of this or a pound of that. So uh, I was able, I, I like to experiment. I've tried a bunch of their different blends over the years. And so this was my, my first go with low, I think what was it? low growing clover blend. I think they called this one. Um, but yeah, they have a low growing bug blend that I really liked. That was cool. Um, but yeah, I've tried lots of different mixes over the years and just sort of like experimenting with them. So, so what is a bug blend? Uh, the, the bug blends that they offered, uh, this is all stuff from uh, groworganic.com, by the way. I actually live really close to their, their nursery, but you can order from groworganic.com and they've got a great selection of all kinds of different cover crops and stuff like that if you're interested. Um, but uh, the bug blends are had like some beneficial insect attracting plants in them. Most of their cover crop blends are designed for like outdoor and orchard use. Um, but they have like a ton of different blends for different purposes. And so the low growing good bug blend, I think had like, um, oh man, I'm trying to remember what was in it. Had like lots of little white flowers in it. I'm trying to remember what I can't, I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, but yeah, I had some diff different flowering plants and uh, just some different, different plants to try to attract good bugs was I think kind of the goal there. Um, but yeah, I've tried lots of different things over the years. They have lots of different blends and the clover clover is always a good one for indoors because it stays fairly short and you're not going to get anything too crazy. You do have to be careful because it can be a vector for pests or it can be or not a vector, but a, a host for pests. Um, so I always try to include my cover crop with any kind of IPM I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing a preventative spray, I'll try to make sure I'm hitting the cover crop a little bit just to make sure there's nothing taking hold in there that, um, is too problematic. Um, but yeah, the beds have just been a blast. I can't recommend big soil beds enough. <laughs> big soil beds are just a ton of fun. Before I built these, I had some three by six beds in my room. Um, and those were just a blast too. The bigger, the better in a lot of ways, but I'm excited I can move these around actually. Being three by three, they're too big to fit through the door, <laughs> but I can move them around the room and I have a nice, uh, my room is like six feet by 25 feet or something like that. So um, I can, I, you know, and I have a light rail up on the ceiling as well. I don't know if that's, you can kind of not quite see it in this picture, but um, there's a light rail up there that the lights are attached to that kind of helps with a lot of things too. Um, but yeah, I try to use the whole room as much as I can. 
What kind of lights are those? Um, I'm running the HLG 260 watt kits right now. Um, and I'm running, you know, for full flower, I'm running two of them over each bed. So, you know, the full 500 and something watts of HLG per bed. And they're crushing it, man. I, I, for a while, was just veg and plants with just one light per bed. And even that was doing fantastic. Um, I've just been really happy with HLG lights. I, I'm a big fan of Spectrum King as well. It's another company I've had a ton of good luck with over the years. But I've recently picked up some of these HLG lights, and they have just been killing it for me. Um, I'll show you my tent here in a minute. But I've got a, the 2 by 2 tent behind me has an HLG 100-watt panel in it. And I'm just so happy and kind of just blown away by the quality or like the, how much light's coming out of that tiny little panel um, with, you know, hardly any heat or any kind of drawbacks at all from it. It's really been pretty nice. I recently got a 200 watt um, spider farmer light to test out and, right um, you know, with the meanwhile driver and Samsung diodes and, and for only 200 watts, you know, it, it puts out a lot of light. I was yeah. very impressed. Yeah. So when I really like HLG has the kits, you know, and that's a good way. If you're looking to save a little bit of money, you can uh, order one of the kits and put it together yourself. And the wiring's really not that hard. If you can, you know, strip a few wires and, you know, match up colors, you can put a light together in my mind. And the HLG kits came with really good direction. So I've put four of these together now for my room and, um, I'm excited to fire them all up or now they're are, are, they're all, they're all running now, as you'll see in a second, but um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of full blast here. What we're looking at two of two of those per bed. And I've been really happy with them. Really impressed. Yeah, they look great. And even some of the kits now are just plug-in. You don't even mm -hmm. have to strip anything. Um, they're just more like a, more like a DIY pattern more than a right. DIY light. Like you can just mount them however you want and plug them in or daisy chain them. Um, there, there's a lot of great options for it. <clears throat> but a lot of people just want to buy a light that's already put together and plug it in really, you know, nothing wrong with either way. Definitely. Well, in lighting and just like LEDs in particular have come so far. And, you know, I, I just got started. I was an early adopter with LEDs many, many years ago. And I remember paying like $600 for a like 100 watt purple light that was like uh all one watt diodes and it was it was yeah. awful it was it cost a fortune it just put out this horrible pink light to look at it could <laughs> barely grow plants um you know we've come so damn far you know like i said i'm running this tent right here behind me with 100 watts it doesn't even heat up the office or anything like that like 100 watts is crushing it in that little two by two space um, I've got the AC Infinity fans, which is another thing I'm a really big fan of. If you're like a home grower, um, the AC Infinity fans have that smart controller and their new fan even has a Bluetooth controller where you can like schedule your, your target nighttime and daytime temperatures and stuff like that. And, and the fan will, you know, ramp the speed up and down to try to keep the temperatures, you know, uh, in, in the ideal range. So technologies like the new lighting and new fans like that have just totally changed home growing. And that's one of the reasons I got really excited and kind of jumped in with selling gear and stuff with growerslove.com. Cause I was like, man, the gear has come so far from when I started, you know, like I'd love to help people, you know, get their hands on some of this awesome stuff because yeah, it's so much easier and so much more fun to start a grow nowadays than back when I got started and everything was hard and the lights didn't work and cost too much and the heat was always a problem and so much easier now. 
<laughs> yeah, I use um, smart plugs in my fan, just my regular fans. Yeah. And then have uh, a weather station that has, um, you know, different sensors that for temperature and humidity. Nice. And, and a, a computer platform. It's like a cloud platform that will um, monitor the temperature and humidity readings and then turn the smart plugs on and off depending on whatever you configure it to. So it's uh, it's um, just pretty cool the amount of different things that you can do with a lot of different technology now. Some of it pre-made. I've seen some uh, some smart plugs in integration now just like advertising on Facebook for like Grove Room uh, tracking and, and stuff. So the amount of technology coming out to be able to control things like fans and AC units and all kinds of different things is, uh, it's really fun stuff to play with. Yeah. Well, I just recently discovered the Bluetooth functionality. So AC infinity came out with a, they have this great 10 speed controllable fan and, uh, mm-hmm. you can, it came with a controller and the controller had some programming options and they're pretty good, but they came out with a new controller and they didn't really advertise it that well because I think it's still in beta or whatever. Their app is still in beta. But uh, in the box with the fan, if you dig through all the paperwork and stuff, there's a little card that says, oh, yeah, by the way, your new fan is Bluetooth compatible. And you can download our new app and it has all these amazing programming options in it. So it's like they've kind of buried it still because I, I don't think they're quite, you know, the app is still, like I said, maybe in beta a little bit. But I've been using it and it's great, man. Being able to program my daytime and nighttime temperatures into the fan. And this thing, try, you know, it does its best to maintain like ideal conditions all on its own. And all I have to do is keep my office at a comfortable temperature and the grow tent and the fan and the, you know, the light provides heat and the plant provides humidity and the fan does its best to manage, you know, any excess of both of those. And we're good. <laughs> and it's sort of amazing how well it's been working. And um, the Bluetooth control is really pretty sweet. So I'm looking forward to that, like becoming more mainstream on the market, like that kind of thing you're talking about too, where it sounds like you built yourself a system. Um, yeah, cool. kind of. I, you know, you can you can buy them integrated. They're just a lot more expensive. I think mine altogether was like 130 bucks or something like that. So it's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty cheap. Um, and, and so, but mine can't control like the speed of the fan, for instance, it's just on or off. Right. So I mean, it's it's a little limited in what it can do, but there, are, you know, eventually, like you're saying, there's going to be all kinds of different things uh, that you can do, like with the Bluetooth app. <clears throat> you know, when it comes out of beta, they'll probably you know be able to push that heavier, and other people have similar apps. I've seen the Infinity fans advertised, um, you know, like with the Bluetooth capability, uh, which is great, and I think they'll do you know more just straight network connectivity uh, on Wi-Fi as well at some point. So you don't have to be like within a certain distance from right. especially for commercial grows. It can be really handy for, um, you know, turning things on and off and controlling all of those different things at, at, you know, if you've got 20 different greenhouses, you don't want to have to walk over there to get within Bluetooth range. So there'll, there'll be a wide range of different things. I'm sure that they end up developing for tech and it's just cool to see like, all of those different things, everything from just like you're saying, the Bluetooth connector for the fans. So when it's just sitting there in your in your closet right behind you, you can just uh, you know There's configure everything you need and and let it go on its own, and it just manages itself. 
Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. Like once they have that infrastructure built of having a fan that's either Wi-Fi or Bluetooth compatible, then you can, you know, write whatever programming or update whatever programming. Like once you have that connectivity and have like the ability to, to you know, dial into your fan, you know, with a, some sort of smart software or something that opens up so many cool possibilities. So I'm really excited to see where they go with that technology. I think they're still kind of wading into it right now, but the possibilities for the future are really cool. And like I said, this, this is my little tent here on the screen now, and I've had so much fun with it. Um, just doing one big plan in it, <laughs> but it's a blast. That looks great. Yeah, it looks really great. Yeah, what like of, I said, that's the, or go ahead. What if, what if, if any challenges have you found with the soil mixes or, you know, anything in particular with the soil that maybe was a pest issue or anything like that with this different blends that you've tried or anything? Um, well, so one, one thing I can talk to you about a little bit, I guess, is I have had some thrips in the grow in the last year or so. And, you know, reusing soil, which is one of the things I've been doing a lot for a number of years, can uh, definitely make that problem a lot bigger of a problem. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I've, I had some thrips. It was a really small problem. I treated it and it went away, um, but then it comes back. And, you know, so I, I've uh, still been trying to kind of crack what to do about, you know, do I just have to replace my soil or, you know, trying to figure out having to... Uh, you know, get to 100% containment with them has been frustrating, especially I have lots of predators in my soil, lots of, uh, uh, you know, and, and most of the time things go really well, but every once in a while, uh, I don't know if it's like the temperatures flare up or it's like something, something changes in the grow and all of a sudden the, the thrips are coming out. And that's kind of been the only real challenge I've faced with the living soil. I mean, once you have a good recipe and things are in balance, um, the other thing I always really stress to people too is just pot size. Uh, I see tons of people trying to do like a grow where you're relying on your soil to feed your plant, but then you put it in a tiny little pot and that just doesn't work guys. Like if you're going to rely on your soil to feed the plant, you need a lot of soil, right? Like you need a big battery to hold all that nutrition to make your plant work. And especially if you're trying to do, like I said, a, a system where you're using the biology and the soil as the main source of nutrition, um, you know, having a nice big volume of soil. So that's why like you can see in my picture here, I'm running, I think that's a 25 gallon pot that I've got about, uh, you know, maybe 15 or 20 gallons of soil in. I kind of roll the, roll the sides down in case I need to top dress. I can, um, and that's the other thing I'll say too, is, you know, if you ever do start to run into problems with living soil, you can usually top dress your way out of it in a lot of cases because you know usually if you start to run out of run out of gas in the soil um you know mixing up what i like to do is mix some of the same amendments i put in the soil you know the same kind of recipe uh i'll mix that into a little bit of compost and just spread some compost across the top of the pot and then reapply a new layer of mulch and that kind of re recharges the batteries so as long as you're kind of vigilant and catch it early most of the time you can um you know kind of top dress your way through a lot of problems but um, the ongoing pest problem is still the one that I have to crack as you know, um, and that may just be having to replace my soil at some point. With, with thrips, I've found they, they can be hard to get to zero completely, but I found if you do a good combo of um, a rove beetles and nematodes and, you know, uh, that, that seems to help more than anything else. Um, you know, if they're in a little bit higher levels, you can always try Vivaria bassiana mm -hmm. or Isofema fumosaria. Uh, or or any of those, um, but um, 
but yeah, in general, I've had pretty good luck with at least keeping them in check with the the rove beetles and the um, uh, the nematodes. Um, yeah. and nematodes in general too. I you know I really like to apply them every single run and just do one time to treat the soil, or at the very least every six months. Um, uh, and especially if I can do it while the soil's resting in between. Uh, runs uh, that's really the best time because they can get in there and just wipe them out if there's any eggs left or anything and they're roaming around looking for a, a food right. source they tend to get infected you know what i mean yeah well and i think so I, I have a ton of rove beetles in my soil that's one thing that's been pretty cool is i added some rove beetles probably like two or three years ago i, I think was the last time i added any rove beetles to my room but i have just a huge population of them there in every pot and just coming out of everywhere and they do do a great job of just keeping everything down like i if i ever have any kind of fungus gnat thing it's like boom there they it comes up a little bit and then gone because the rove beetle population just takes care of it and the same thing has mostly happened with the thrips but like i said every once in a while it'll flare up a little bit and i'll see some damage on some leaves but we're mostly under control, but yeah, you're right. It's getting to that hundred percent containment. That's the problem. And I've been doing some nematode treatments and I think I'm going to be doing a lot more and getting a lot more aggressive with the nematodes. The other thing that I think has really been my problem that I'm trying to work on right now is for a while, I just had like soil stored in a bunch of different places and a bunch of different tubs around my grow. And then I had pots in this room and pots in that room. And so just being able to 100% make sure I was treating everywhere you know, like I feel like I was treating pretty well, but then maybe I'd miss one tub or I'd, you know, miss one area or I'd forget about one plant or something. And that I think that was a part of my problem too. So just trying to like, I'm trying to consolidate all my soil and storage right now and get it into one big pile. And then I can treat that and treat all my rooms at the same time and just try to really, you know, take care of it and be as aggressive as I can in a couple of nice big pushes with some nematodes and maybe some more predators, I'm thinking. You know what might also might work is the IPMO, um, which is kind of like IMO from KNF. Okay. Take uh, insect um, skeletons. If you have stuff from an infected grow or, you know, you can collect stuff outside and then throw it in the freezer uh, to kill them. Uh, you know, if you get your kids to collect grasshoppers or, you know, whatever, um, that the, the live insect corpses is really, you know, beneficial but if you don't have access to that insect frass works just as well and replace 30 percent of your uh, imo rice with insect frass or mm. insect corpses uh, and then cook it down the same way blend it all together cook it down the same way you would regular imo put it out for collection and then you use that um, to make an imo two except you don't put labs you don't put ohn you don't put anything else in it you're just basically going to stabilize it and then use that to make a tea basically uh, from then on, uh, you're going to brew that up um, and then apply that. And we had real good luck with that in Africa for a nice. wide range of different insects. Um, and we've been using that. We used that out here last year, a little bit outdoors uh, to help knock back a lot of the insects. Um, but it's kind of like a broad spectrum. Like uh, it helps you collect the local bacteria that feed on the insects, exoskeletons and the chitin. Yeah, you know, that so makes you're sense. basically just collecting what's locally there rather than bringing in a foreign microbe. Uh, and then just collecting it and populating it out inside of a box and then turning it into a spray. Um, and that might be something else that you could try, uh, especially on the scale that you're doing and be, you know, not particularly difficult. Yeah, that's a great tip, man. I'll have to give that a try. I've tried a lot of like, I've made IMO before, but I've never tried doing that with like the pest IMO. That sounds really cool and like something that is right up my alley. So 
I might have to give that a go. Um, we were, I was just talking with some DGC people earlier about making lacto and making IMO and all that good stuff. And I want to get back into that. I haven't, haven't really made much in a while. I've been busy doing like website and business stuff for a little bit. So I'm, uh, you know, trying to shift gears and get back into growing and reconnecting with people again, because I kind of miss that part of life too. So, um, you know, shifting gears right now, but excited to work on more of that. But hell yeah, me too. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I've been having a ton of fun getting reconnected in a grow lately. That's been really cool, you know, working on these new beds and, um, you know, I've had some setbacks with it. I had a few days when I didn't feel real good. And so that uh, I have some ongoing digestive health issues that kind of come and go. And um, sometimes that can be a real setback in the garden. So we've dealt with that a little bit this run and I definitely over vegged. I haven't showed you uh, all these pictures yet, but uh, these plants got way too big. <laughs> they got way too big. They're taking over this room and I'm bending them down, trying to contain everything right now. So I don't have any good pictures of it, unfortunately, but I will at some point. And um, yeah, it's a jungle in there right now. <laughs> yeah, I swear by those myco caps um, for, uh, from Dragonfly. I, I have digestive issues too. And holy crap, has my life been night and day different after starting to take those. Nice. I will check those out too. I've loved, uh, I love those guys, man. The cocoa and all that good stuff. <laughs> I've used a lot of their products. They're good people. Oh yeah. And they have a teepee we can party in, right? So that's always cool. I have some amazing pictures from their TP with all kinds of wonderful people. The good times, man. Good times. That was such like a fun, uh, fun thing to have at the event, man. Props to Dragonfly Earth Medicine for just bringing a great big like tent for us to have a big party in and get out of the cold and everybody's hanging out smoking joints. Looking forward to doing that again with you guys for sure. I think that's definitely the thing I'm missing this week is Emerald Cup is kind of going on virtually right now. This oh yeah. Couple days. Uh, that's the thing I think I miss the most is Emerald Cup was the one time a year everyone kind of drops what they're doing and goes out there. That and BizCon are kind of like the two times you get to see everybody. You know. Yeah, I really I enjoyed Emerald Cup. Uh, Emerald Cup's definitely a lot of fun if you get a chance. Everybody go to Emerald Cup. Hell yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, and then here's some um, some bud. There's some bud from um. This is a grow I finished recently. That's um, some ladies night, which is from my breeding project that I've been working on for the last couple of years. Um, it's kind of like a, a Jack hare and skunk uh, and berry kind of mix that um, some old TGA genetics that I crossed together that I've been working with for a while. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, and that was from a grow I did where I was testing out some earth boxes, which are like another cool, uh, sub irrigated planter that I was playing around with. I do a lot of experimenting in my grow. <laughs> so um, trying lots of different methods and those earth boxes were pretty cool. That was like a fun new method to try out. So um, yeah, the ladies night. And then I also grew some Romulan, which is like another banger cut. Um, that Romulan cuts floating around Northern California right now. And that's definitely a good one. If anybody needs like a, need some clone advice, Romulan, pick it up. <laughs> The one downside I found with Romulan is it seems to get PM a little easier than some of the other. I, I haven't noticed that, but I haven't run into some PM yet. But it, 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 for me, it's just really stretchy. Or a lot of times it's been like a little too stretchy for me. And that's been my main complaint with it. But I love the smoke, though. So I'm okay with it. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've made some killer crosses with it. But I've regular Romulan, I've always found never quite yielded what I, what I was hoping at least mm -hmm. in my experience, but it, fucking look how frosty that is though. I mean, it's hard to compare to frost like that. You really can't, 
fuck with that. I think that sometimes people undervalue more airy strains for that reason. You know, if it's airier, it has more surface area for more trichomes, right? Yeah, Those yeah. dense nugs, you know, you're trying to pack and squeeze all the trichomes together. It's not always, you know, if you're, and Frenchie does a really good job of talking about this and he's done it on, on DGC and, and on this show as well, talking about the difference between growing for hash versus, you know, ganja, for lack of a term, you know, flour. Right. Um, and how the airier, you know, the airier stuff is, is much better. I mean, that's just a beautiful picture right there with the amount of frost on it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I'm excited too. Like, so this flower, this is the, the ladies night again, that's the plant from my grow. And this one, I've noticed a lot of the like Jack hair genetics get just greasy. They don't get the same, um, like they're, they'll get like lots of visible trichomes on it, but they're almost like longer trichomes. And so you get like a very different kind of, um, it's a kind of bud that just like smears in your hand after you're holding it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's just terpy or it's, it's got more of like a greasy than a sticky kind of consistency to it. It's interesting, but, um, yeah, that Romulan's killer though, man, definitely something I'd recommend picking up. Um, and yeah, that's all the pictures I had for you. And then, yeah, just like I said, if you want to grow your own, <laughs> hit me up. I love teaching people to grow their own. That's my passion. And if I can help you start to grow, I would love to, I would love to help you start to grow. Awesome. Um, what are some cultivars that are, you know, what cultivars have you been growing maybe the, lately? And then what cultivars, uh, I guess, after that question, what cultivars would you recommend for newer beginner growers? That's a great question. Um, like I said, I've loved, been loving the Romulan. That was a cut that I picked up from Dark Heart Nursery a while back. Um, and then other than that, I've been running a lot of my own seeds. I have been doing some like kind of little small pollen checking projects over the last like four or five years. And I've kind of developed a little backlog of seeds of my own that I need to check out. Um, so that's been fun. And like I had some of the ladies night, which like I said, was something I made that's a cross of some old TGA genetics um and then i also have uh just a lot of other like weird random projects and then the plants i have right now what's in the big beds and that i showed you and what's in my tent are actually some seeds i got from uh, jinx proof uh jinx proof genetics is another one of my favorite breeders and he's like another old tga guy and he's um the guy known for the nine pound hammer uh, so in the grow tent right now and in the in the big room all those plants that i showed you tonight are um all from a pack I got that's um, it's called Hit Girl Back Cross. That's like a time wreck. I think it's time wreck crossed with the nine pound hammer uh, and then crossed back to the nine pound hammer as I believe what it is. So um, she should be great. And I'm already getting some like amazing smells off of that. And I've always had great results and like gotten just great, great terpy, awesome, strong weed from my Jinx Proof seed pack. So that's someone I definitely recommend. Um, and then for new growers, man, someone that I just recommend all the time for new growers is just checking out Rasta Jeff and Irie Genetics is um, really consistent. I don't really see people having problems with them. All I see is people having great crops and growing great looking plants. I haven't had a chance to grow any of his seeds myself yet, unfortunately, just because I don't have a lot of space. And like I said, I've been growing too much of my own stuff, but um, yeah, just that's another one of my go-to recommendations for people are, you know, Jinx Proof is awesome. And uh, Rasta Jeff is always a good pickup too, if you're just looking for some reliable seeds that are going to get you some, you know, great looking flowers. Uh, we had a quick question. Uh, Stabby wants to know, 
if he's tried full on butt chugging yet. He says, I know it sounds like I'm trolling, but that's what the Michigan guys call it. It's essentially a dual root zone system or scaled up earth box. You set large pots close together in trays of hydrogen. Ooh, I have not tried that. And the name makes it less appealing, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, that sounds like an interesting technique. I, I did do something with, um, I took some 25 gallon fabric pots and I put them in a big tray, uh, kind of like what I'm doing in my tent right now. But in, in the tray, I put a bunch of perlite um, and, or not perlite pumice, um, which holds up to the weight a lot better. Um, and yeah, you, you kind of can almost water from the bottom doing that. And you can, um, you know, you almost develop like a dual root zone where you have roots going into the gravel, um, which is kind I mean, I think that's a little bit like what you're describing. I've seen people try, oh, I've seen that set up a couple of times on Instagram. I think Tanasi. Correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. Tanasi Gardens, I think, is is growing that way. Again, someone can correct me if that's wrong, but I think I saw it on his Instagram. Um, and and there might be some other people. I think like like Stabby saying the Michigan people, but I haven't tried it. But but hey, if it's a dual root zone system, man, it's going to work awesome. Like we've explained, you know, a bunch of different reasons why that works well. You increase gas exchange, increase you know two separate zones of nutrient control, pH, mycorrhizal, you know, so all, all those different things. Um, you know, the, there's different um, microbial zones uh, to maximize uh, the stimulation on the plant's immune system to boost those terps. You get yeah. lots of water. He says you get lots of water, uh, roots growing through the hydrogen and feeder roots on top. Much, uh, I also mulch layer with rice hulls. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It sounds interesting. It sounds interesting. It, yeah. Not something. Oh, abolished farms and Spartan grown use this method. So, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it sounds almost just like a modified dual root zone that, uh, yeah, it would definitely work. <laughs> I, that's pretty much what we preach for, even for DWC, we preach that, that that's a better, you know, you, you do get better yields that way. Uh, and yeah. the biggest thing that we've noticed in, in side-by-sides, especially with vegetables, is just disease resistance, particularly powdery mildew, botrytis, uh, that type of stuff, the fungal infections seem to really be mitigated by having some beneficial mycorrhizal uh, fungi in the root system. It seems to stimulate the plant's, you know, immune system to, to help fend itself off. It's not going to prevent them entirely, but it certainly makes them harder to get infected to begin with. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I'm excited, you know, I, so I ran the flowers I showed you earlier, those were grown in some earth boxes that I was playing around with. And I really didn't know what I was doing with those. I just kind of put my usual soil mix in them and put some plants in them and they grew pretty well, but I did find, you know, it kept the soil a little bit too moist. You know, they were getting a little soggy and it, I did get a little bit of that, a um, little bit of almost like that, you know, rotten egg or sulfury smell you get from a overwatered or kind of rotten soil or, and, uh, so, you know, I, there was kind of some problems with my method. And then interestingly enough, I had a chance on the Dude Grow Show to interview Jeremy from build soil who's been growing in the earth boxes for a really long time. And he had some awesome advice for me about like what went wrong with what I was doing. So it was really cool. You know, he was telling me to actually let them dry out, uh, you know, in between waterings. He was saying, you know, don't totally keep them full all the time. That's what um, I was just about to say too. So yeah, which is like, I, I hadn't even considered that, but I was like, okay, yeah. So I'm really excited to do another run at some point soon with, I have a bunch of those earth boxes. And then I also have something called a city picker, which is basically an earth box, but it's a little bit wider. Um, 
So mm-hmm. I have a bunch of those sub-irrigated pots. I'm excited to give those a go at some point. Um, yeah, so we have had Alan <coughs> Atkinson on a couple of times who worked with Earth Fox um, in conjunction with the Probiotic Wellness Gardens. And they were, they were the ones talking about how you have to, um, you really should let them uh, dry out in between. You shouldn't just leave them topped off all the time. And that they had issues with the auto watering system, always keeping them topped off and completely full and not having that process. Yeah. So I just, I didn't do my research. I just dove right the hell in and started using them, assuming that I knew what I was doing or assuming they would just kind of work. And now that I've thought about it and now that I talked to Jeremy about it and I'm hearing that from other people, I'm like, yeah, that sounds kind of obvious. I should have, uh, should have been letting them dry out every once in a while. That's a good idea. So I'm really excited to take another go at them because they were a really easy way to grow. You know, you just put some good soil. I mean, they did kind of, like I said, I ran into those problems, but I feel like if I can mitigate those problems by watering them properly and letting them dry out properly, I think they'll be like super, super easy as far as just, just a great way to grow. Um, especially, you know, if we can find a way to, you know, they, they, the other thing I hate about the earth boxes is they're sort of a weird size, um, which make, can make them a little bit difficult to like fit it in a tent or um, you can fit them, but they're like 30 inches long or something weird like that. Um, right. Which just so they don't a, like totally fill a four foot and they don't, you know, like <laughs> yeah, they don't it's really fit in a two foot, you know? So I, I hear what you're saying there as far as the size. And so the city picker there, um, you know, being a slightly different size uh, can help also. They do sell a couple of different size earth boxes. Well, so I did a grow with two city pickers in my, I have a two by four in the room with me here too, that you can't quite see, but I did a grow with two of the city pickers side by side in a two by four and it was perfect. So the city pickers, the only problem with those is they're a little bit shallower than the earth boxes. So right. if you use the city pickers, you got to really like mound up your soil on top and really kind of get aggressive with your um, build a little volcano for your plant because there's just not enough depth to those pots. Um, so if, I, if someone needs to build me a, a, a deeper city picker and I'll be in heaven, <laughs> those well, things were thing really you, cool. One thing you can do that I, I've had, uh, uh, friends here on a, on a larger scale, we'll say, um, do a similar, you know, geotype planters to what you're doing there, but essentially set them up like a big sub irrigated planter to where they fill the bottom. Uh, with like lava rock or pumice or whatever um, along the bottom. And then they put in, you know, have a a breathable layer uh, that they put in in between and a a feeding tube or a watering tube that goes down in the same way that you have for uh, for that. And then they they water from the bottom inside of uh, those planters as well. So you can definitely make your own and I made some of my own sub-irrigated planters um, as well just because I also love to experiment with different ways to grow but I do think in terms of like the earth boxes themselves they're one of the like probably most bulletproof ways for new growers Um, I've had really good luck with people that don't want to take that jump to aquaponics yet uh, but you know want to make sure they get medicine on their first try Um, you know uh, an earth box and some auto flowers are it was a pretty bulletproof way for somebody to get something out of their first run. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons I, that I've just, I think, been drawn to, or drawn, uh, drawn to this method of growing, you know, with big soil pots and, and with this, these kind of sub-irrigated methods is I love that idea of, you know, making a system that's really resilient, you know, really resilient where, you know, I love with the earth boxes where it's like, well, I don't even really have to water them. You know, if I forget to water for a day or two, it's not a big, big deal, you know, for, you know, it, it was great for me as someone with health issues to be able to know, you know, my plants are going to be okay. <laughs> you know, it would be better if I could be in there every day working, but if I have to take a day off, cause I'm not feeling well, you know, knowing that my plants in a nice big, huge bed that's well watered, you know, I know at least it's not going to die because I couldn't just check on it. You know, that having that resilience in the, built into the system is always something I look for when I'm kind of planting and grow. So those earth boxes look, seem killer to me. Like I said, I had some issues with my first run, but I think now that I know what I'm doing, really excited about them. So looking forward to giving them another crack for sure. I think right. that's I think that's something that Marty and I have kind of take, almost taken for granted with the aquaponics. I mean, we can go away for a weekend and it, it's, you know, short of growing into the lights, it's not really going to fuck itself up. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, whereas with soil and stuff, you can absolutely have stuff go sideways or, you know, forget to water something and, and, and have it go tits up pretty quick. Well, that's the other part of the system I didn't talk about, but I, cause I don't have it set up in the new beds yet, but I think actually tonight I'm going out there and maybe trying to set up the blue mots. So that's the yeah, other part yeah. of the big, the big bed system that I've used that has worked really, really well is when I had my three by six beds, I had it set up with blue mots and uh, some drip tape, just running the whole length of the bed. And then I would do little drip tape circles of um, just like drip tube around each plant. And man, those beds were killing it. And it was such an easy way to grow. Once you get the blue mots dialed in, it's like the watering's taken care of, the soil's taken care of, the nutrition, the lights are the sun, the air conditioners, the weather. <laughs> like I, my grow was great. It was easy sailing for that run. And I, I'm trying to get back to that with these new beds. I'm really excited about getting my newer, smaller beds dialed in. So the three by threes are going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, those are actually kind of sitting on a bed of pumice a little bit, uh, like what we were talking about too. The um, the new beds are, are in a tray, in a three by three hydro tray that I put like a, a cubic foot of pumice in. Very cool. Yeah, I've been really focused on, if you, um, if you check out the podcast last week, I kind of talked about this too, but just focused on, you know, more, you talk about you having health issues and obviously I've talked about my dad having health issues and, and being able to have to, you know, drop everything uh, and take off at any moment to be able to do whatever I need to do, uh, you know, can be tough. Um, and the fact that I have a well-established aquaponic system really allows me to like not have to worry about it. And people, I forget when I'm talking to people that, that it's such an advantage to like only water a plant twice in its entire life um, is like from, from clone all the way through to harvest, literally only ever watering it two times to get it established in, in a new system <clears throat> and then um, have it flower out from there because it just gets watered through the aquaponic system in the same way that a sub-irrigated planter would um, but just through the aquaponic media bed. <clears throat> and so it's a, it's a huge relief to be able to do that. So once you have, it is more work to get set up, but once you have an established aquaponic system, um, 
you can really uh, set it up to be very low maintenance. So right now, because I don't have a ton of time, I'm pretty much just rotating plants through the system and letting them flower out. So I grow them up to a, in the bedroom about to where I want them to go. And then I throw them and uh, transfer them from dual root zone aquaponic system to another aquaponic bed, uh, the whole pot itself. And then nice. I get flowers out in the new system and I don't train it. I don't really do a lot to it. So my, my yield isn't nearly as much as if I just like did like a three week bed and kind of trained everything out to the net and all of that stuff. Uh, but I more manage them to the height that I want and then just chuck them in the flower room and let them flower out. Um, so really uh, just super low uh, time investment. Um, and and it's, it's really like once I get all the strains to kind of where I know where, what size they need to be in the bedroom, I can get still get a pretty decent canopy. So it's been kind of interesting to just sort of retool everything for efficiency um, as opposed to, you know, maximum yield. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's something I went through in my grow too, where over the last few years, I really made a shift from, you know, trying to produce as much. And, you know, I was trying to max out that room for a few years, you know, I had a bunch of big spectrum kings in there and I was really going crazy trying to fill my, fill that, that, you know, six foot wide room just with plants from wall to wall, you know, and I, I was really going crazy for a little while there. And, you know, and then, then life changes and your motivation changes and your goals change. And, you know, now I'm just trying to kind of grow for fun and I'm trying to do some grows too, to show people, you know, as now that I've kind of trying to move into more of a teacher role, you know, I'm trying to instruct people and inspire people to grow their own. So that's why I'm really excited. You know, I'm firing up some tents. I have a nice big grow in the building behind me, but, um, you know, I'm firing up some tents because that's, you know, like I said, your goals change and you go from being like a production grower and, or, or, you know, whatever you're into, you know, when your goals change, I guess what I'm saying is it's important to try to adapt your grow style and adapt your methods to that. And I've loved watching, you know, I'm not an aquaponic grower myself, but I've loved watching, you know, all of you guys and how, how the system fits in with your lives and how it, um, you know, doing that ecosystem thing really vibes with what you do. And I love it. I've, I've been a big fan of the show for a while, even though I haven't been like, I haven't had a chance to do a full aquaponic grow myself, but I'm a big fan of fish tanks. I'm a big fan of just ecosystems and biology and stuff like that. So I've always like loved hearing you guys talk about your systems and how it all works and things like that. So it's been, a, it's been great to be here and hang out with you guys, honestly, because um, yeah, I feel like I have learned a lot from you guys learning about different ecosystems and hearing Steve talk about his adventures in different places and things like that too, is always really cool. So yeah. Yeah. Man. We really, you know, like you talked about the living soil. And so we've been trying to talk about, you know, the living water in a closed loop system. Yeah. kind of completing that biomimicry that we go for in living soil that we just extend that to where your, your water has a, a populated um, uh, your water column is populated with my microbiology in the same way that your soil is. Um, <clears throat> we can mimic that also by throwing some fish in the reservoir and putting your, your water in a closed loop um, and being able to manage it in that way. So it's really just ups the diversity that you're going for um, already in the living soil. So that's kind of the, the way that we've been trying to, to close the gap because I know a lot of people want to try aquaponics, but it, it, it is intimidating to give it a go, I guess. 
Yeah, well, that brings up a great opportunity to ask a question I wanted to ask you guys, actually, which is, you know, so I have a fish tank. I've been a longtime fish tank nerd. Um, I actually got into fish tanks like long before I got into growing and I'm not as into tanks anymore. At one point, I had a small apartment with like uh, uh, over a thousand gallons worth of fish tanks in it. Um, I went real nuts with tanks. I had 55 gallons all over the room, all over racks with 20 gallons. And I went real nuts for a few years there. And You're really speaking Steve's language right now. <laughs> yeah, I could see Steve over there like, yeah, okay, Steve knows what's up. Um, uh, and over 3,000 gallons in an apartment before so you're, you're yeah. preaching <laughs> yeah no it's a lot of fun man I went real nuts with it for a few years and I you know I when I had to start having health issues I had to scale down a, a quite a bit but one thing I always kept with me was I had a big 90 gallon um, and in my big 90 gallon when I first started having issues and our health issues and all that I had a uh, an Oscar I had a red Oscar that was about this big was like bigger than a football plus fins he was huge um and that was he was the king and i had that fish for like 12 or 13 years i think and he moved with me and was in like three or four different houses like he moved like over 100 miles with me he rode in the back of the car in a plastic tub um we had all kinds of adventures that fish and i and he unfortunately passed away a few years ago and we we gave him a nice burial in the yard but I still have the tank and since then I haven't been as you know into it I, I I ever I haven't like I need to reinvest in that tank and rebuild that tank again but um I was wondering like what's the easiest way for me to use water from my tank um or like what's the best way for me to try to incorporate that into what I'm doing with beds because I have this great source of biology right so you know and, and I've just tried watering it in you know and that obviously works great the plants love it but I've wondered, is there any kind of tips you guys have or any sort of advice as far as like how to, for, for home growers who also have a fish tank, what's the best way for them to try to incorporate that into their grow? Sure. So um, what I would do is I'd go to your local aquarium store and probably pick up one of these smaller e-shops. I don't know if you guys, let me make sure I move the thing there. One of these smaller e-shops um, overflow boxes, they make a yeah. couple of different sizes. There's other companies that make them too. Like you don't have to get e-shops. Um, but um, all you have to do is slip an airline up through the U to the top of the U uh, and then um, uh, put water in here, put, fill up your fish tank, amount this on the fish tank. The glass goes right in the middle here. So the black part goes in the water uh, and this side is on the outside of the tank. Um, and then take your airline hose in there and suck all the air out with your mouth. And then you can pull, pull the air out of that. Now you got your siphon going. And it'll, it'll, as long as you got water in here, it'll keep siphon. And then now you can plumb that directly to say a tough tote or whatever you want to use for a sump tank. And then now you can plumb that directly to your flood and drain bed to your three by three or four by four or whatever it is that you want to use for your traditional nice. hydro setup. Um, and then uh, make sure you run a return uh, up to your fish tank. And then if you want to run a separate flood and drain on your grow bed, run either a separate pump or set it up with a bell siphon or a loop siphon, and, and then you're good to go. Um, alternatively, let me pull up a video here. Actually, this is something, some of the content we haven't actually put in the class yet. So this will be kind of cool to show you guys. If I go back, I gotta go back. Yeah, <clears throat> I always tell fish tank guys, just essentially imagine that you're growing plants out of a biofilter. Yeah, that makes sense. So your media beds become a giant biofilter and you're growing plants out of it. <clears throat> Now, do you guys do anything like, so if I'm just wanting to try to use some aquarium water in with like my current beds, 
would you do any sort of tease with it or are you just watering it indirectly or is there certain times I should try to use it or times I shouldn't use it? I mix a percentage, like a small percentage of tank water into any tea or uh, any sort of microbial um, that I want <clears throat> that I want to water in. Um, so it kind of depends on your ammonia level too. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times your soil microbes aren't going to be as adapted to processing the ammonia as your closes aquaponic is. And that's why decoupled aquaponics is, can be a little bit more tricky when you're taking water from that and just watering plants with it. <clears throat> um, so you can do it, but usually um, dilute it. And then you also just want to make sure that you're um, your ammonia isn't too high when you're doing it. Right on. And Steve has other concerns. Oh, definitely be careful on flour, um, big time. Um, yeah. Definitely be careful on flour. High anyway, nitrogen. High, yeah, yeah I get high nitrogen. Uh, easy to really screw your stuff up if you if you go overboard with it. You're gonna fry your plants. That's great advice. Yeah, no, I've always, I've always used it mostly as like, I've used it, usually I think I put like a quarter bucket of tank water in with my normal plain watering in veg has been my usual method for using it when I do use it. Um, and that's just sort of as like a little bit of a supplement and just to get kind of the biologicals in there. But I just wondered if there's a more effective way for me to be doing that. And I like the idea of trying to set up an actual system though. Um, I'm not sure if I have like the space to do it right now, but um, I do have some other smaller tanks, so I may have to try to set something up at some point. So this is the other way you can do it. So you can actually take a drill, a nice glass cutting bit, some clay, draw out where you're going to put your bulkhead, uh, and some water, and then again, making sure you have modeling clay. And then what you do is, pull up the video here. Is this, a, yeah, okay. Hold on two seconds here. All right. Whoop, wrong button. There we go. <laughs> I think you guys can see this here. Oh yeah. So, so what you do is you pour the water in there because you want to make a pool of water. That's what the clay is for, so that you're drilling the glass out underwater, basically. And then you want to when you you want to start it off with an edge. Hold on, it's probably annoying for the audio people. Um, but uh, uh, most of our listeners are, are the audio version, but you want to plunge cut starting on one side and then slowly ease your way into the cut. Um, and it takes a while. So you can see we start to get an edge there. Um, that That's perfectly good. It, it's perfectly fine. If it takes you 10 minutes to cut the glass, that's perfectly fine. There is no too long. There is too fast. You go too yeah. fast, you're going to break the glass. You can take all damn day to go through that thing. If you go low and slow and you just, you know, it is, that's what you do. That's fine. But if you go too fast, you're going to shatter that glass. So. Yeah, I've never, I did a lot of saltwater stuff back in the day. I haven't done, you know, I never went full big, huge reef tank or anything like that, but I did some smaller saltwater stuff and I, I did try to drill a tank once and it didn't go well. Um, so I don't know how, how into drilling tanks I'm going to be. I like the idea of the little drop on the back overflow though. That's cool. And that's a cool way to just, if you're trying to set up an easy system, um, you know, especially if you have an established tank or an established pond or something, that's really cool. 
And if you're on a really big budget, you can get acrylic glue and a, a sheet of plexiglass at your local hardware store, or buy the bulkheads. You can make that box for probably $25, $30. Um, you can buy them for 45 to 60, but if you're really on a shoestring, you can make it on your own. Uh, if you really, really, really can't afford it, you, you can fabricate your own. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this just kind of gives you an idea of, of nice. trying to, when we're talking this through, but this is some of the content that we have on the online class. Um, we have a bunch of different content on, on how to do some of the more advanced techniques and different things. We have a, for anyone that doesn't know, we have a, a full online school. Which we yeah, I thought you guys are doing that. That's awesome. Being able to, you know, get have people who wanted a more in-depth class really get a full education. I saw you guys got like a full college worth of videos over there, man. That's great. Oh yeah, yeah. We have uh, it's like over 600, 635 slides or something like that in our presentation, and a bunch of different videos at different places, um, how-to videos on on construction and. Um, lots of different farm tours that Marty and I have consulted on. Uh, so, you know, if we're trying to see a couple of different setups, we're trying to adapt different stuff. You know, we go through everything top to bottom. Uh, we have a huge list of topics. This is just some of the wow, stuff that's yeah. on there. Um, so, and they all have their own little, you know, segments and stuff like that. So it's, it's really quite an in-depth course. So definitely something to check out. And uh, we've had, a, a, we also do live sessions regularly and uh, have a whole disease um, a compendium uh, and insect compendium, uh, nutrient dosing guides, all different types of stuff on, on how I know the technical side of things. So definitely a, a great resource for people out there. And then the other thing, just because she's in chat, I wanted to shout her out. She's a big supporter of the show um, over there at Jelly Bomb. Um, Jesse is a big fan of the show and helps us out with some of our media stuff. Uh, and uh, she set us up with a store over at Jelly Bomb, and we have awesome aquaponic cannabis shirts and nice. things like that. Those are great. Um, we have, uh, you know, tilapia smoking a joint. We got a bunch <laughs> of stuff. So if you want something a little classier, or maybe you don't, want, you have someone that doesn't grow weed, you get them a nice aquaponic farmer, aquaponic farmer shirt. You know, if you just want to get them something a little less cannabisy. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I love your tilapia smoke in the joint. <laughs> we have the, uh, the aquaponic weed wizard. Ooh, I like him too. I'm loving it, man. Loving the merch. <laughs> and then uh, half the proceeds of this go towards helping some kiddos get some some education up there in Alberta. I know she's putting the, the money for this up towards getting aquaponic systems there for the school up there and, and the, the education stuff. And then we're putting the, the little bit that we get from it towards the servers and the hosting and all the things that it takes to support the podcast. So if you Very want to cool. support, uh, feel free to get those. If you have a cool design you want us to make for this and you think it'd be good, let us know and, and we'll, we'll make one and we'll send you a free shirt. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah. And then, Hey, if you're a breeder too, and you want to, you know, get your brand out, um, she's happy to do that. She, uh, she doesn't charge you any inventory or anything like that. She can she can help you get set up once you uh, once you get all set up with her. She's a super super great person and a big fan of the community and uh, helps a lot of people in the community with their different merch needs. Um, so definitely uh, reach out to her if you if you do need it over at jellybomb.com. Always always great to have people support the show, especially uh, <laughs> when we can help uh, uh, you know support other people as well in the process. Yeah, for sure.
Um, did we have any questions or I haven't been looking at the chat at all, I confess. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I had to unmute. I was talking to myself. Uh, we have some, you have some amazing content on your YouTube channel, which I will, or not your YouTube, your Instagram, which I was going to show off here. Yeah, I mean, look at this. I mean, that's pretty gnarly. That's some really cool content that he's got up on there. <laughs> With the uh, the insects inside the cannabis seed, I know I've never seen anything quite like that. So, I know uh, he's yeah, right. That up was there. a bummer. <laughs> no scientists, but I don't think that's good. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those situations where. So I can tell you that story. I planted some seeds, and then I waited a few days, and was like, "Huh, they're not kind of coming up." And I planted them directly into some old recycled soil, and uh, I was like you know, really excited for these seeds. I forget what exactly they were, but I remember being like really excited. Can't wait for them to come up anxiously, like standing around the pot, staring at the soil, waiting for the, you know, waiting to see some life and nothing. And so I dig them up. And then as I'm digging, I'm, I start to see the top of the seed and it's moving. And I'm like, uh Oh, that can't be good. Like I cannot think of any good situation that results in <laughs> moving something moving in my pot like that. I was like, that's not good. And yeah, I dug the rest of it up and yeah, you can see what the whole inside of the seed was just completely full of these either fungus gnats or I, I thought they were fungus gnats. I've had some other people tell me they're pot worms. I really don't know what they were, whatever they were. Um, they've taught me to be careful using old recycled soil to start seeds. <laughs> whatever they were, I learned my lesson. And from now on, I've been starting my seeds in either some nice clean mix or some rapid rooter plugs or something like that, just to avoid something like this happening. Cause this was a huge bummer. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I do understand why people do like to germinate in living soil from the, the beneficial microbial relationships. But I think that you can introduce those, you know, week two. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of just like you're saying, doing a seed soak overnight for my germination uh, at the very least 12 hours, preferably 24 in, in good clean water that's pH to you know mid sixes or seven um, and, and then um, maybe even a drop of mycorrhizal fungi inoculant if anything uh, and then um, the other thing you can do a drop of if you're really having a tough time um, uh, with your germination you can put a single drop of peroxide into like a whiskey glass um, that the extra oxygen can help germination um, and then if you have really old seeds like we've talked about in the past, you know, you can go with the seed sprout tea, you can take corn or um, cucumbers or squash beans, uh, or I'm not, not beans, uh, squash uh, seeds, um, <laughs> and uh, soak them uh, for overnight uh, until they germinate, and then take that water, strain it, and then use that to germinate your uh, soak overnight for your old, old cannabis seeds, and you can actually take those um, germination hormones and transfer that from those germinated seeds to the the old seeds which are degraded because remember the rest of the genetics are generally intact even in old old seeds it's just that those germination hormones tend to tend to degrade with um, desiccation so when it comes too dry uh, it, it starts to break down um, but you can replace those with you know another source's germination hormones and they'll, they'll wake up just fine um, so I've personally germinated stuff as old as the 70s. So nice. um, you can, you know, certainly germinate stuff that's older than that, at least in my belief. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a limit to it, but, um, you know, I don't think it's anything within, uh, outside of, you know, anything reasonable in terms of anyone's seed collections. I know I have some stuff that's getting, you know, over 10 years old that, you know, I'm definitely getting concerned about, you know, maybe needing to do a refresh on. 
I've got some stuff like that too. I've got a few packs in my collection that I'm like, ooh, I should either plant these or do something with these because they're not getting any fresher. You know, they belong in the ground, in my opinion. I know some people like to really collect seeds, but I'm of the opinion that you should buy them and plant those damn things, put them to work. Well, you know, it's this interesting contradiction, right? So I grew, my father works on uh, Corvettes and all kinds of stuff like that and exotic cars. And uh, I used to make fun of him and so did some of his friends because uh, especially the Corvette people, because you know what a Corvette person says? He says, see, see the car in my garage. They don't drive them. <laughs> and I kind of feel like it's kind of the same way with some of the seed stuff. Like, yeah, it's good to have a few seeds of, of certain particular things for breeding purposes but outside of that you're absolutely right if you're not using them you know you gotta drive like like a car you gotta drive them bitch yeah it doesn't they don't get any fresher chat is requesting a different picture to be on the screen (laughs) i was gonna say the same thing (laughs) it's like it gives me the willies man looking at that video gives me the willies i understand chat i understand i'm with you I could post some of my insect stuff. Uh, I, I keep threatening me and Matthew Gates keep joking that we should just do a whole, we should get together with like, you know, one or two of the other IPM consultants. Uh, uh, I'm not strictly the IPM, but I have some really good horror pictures, but just do like a horror porn show, do like a two or three hour, like horror porn where we, we bring up like aphids, like bring up like a topic or a certain insect. And then we all show like, the worst that we've seen right like you should do like the the potent ponics ponics halloween special should just be like a horror show of of insect pictures <laughs> totally gonna happen actually you want to see the fun well anyways that's probably too off topic but um absolutely yes and I, and if anyone else is uh we'll quick share this get out and hunt your morels they're in season i did quite well the last two weekends Ooh, nice yeah very cool. I live in the mountains in California and I don't know very much about the local fungi, but there's a park near me and every every time we get a nice rain in the springtime, I've been hoping for a good rainstorm because I go walking in the park and I've I've counted like 30 different types of mushrooms in the park. It's so much fun. So I need to like hang out with somebody who knows more about them and can tell me what they are and things like that. But so there's a way it. to so ready? The, I'm gonna teach everybody a way to cheat when mushroom hunting. There's a way to cheat. So most of the harvested um, mushrooms that are widely collected, oyster mushrooms being an exception, shiitakes being an exception, um, velvet footed nokis being another exception. Um, but most of the ones that are live in soil and, or mulch are directly cued into a moisture level and a temperature. When you hit those two cues, it, it fruits. So you take a, a, a digital meat thermometer and when you find a species that you're hunting for, you stick it in the ground and you measure it. So for instance, mm. in Colorado, I know for a fact that black morels will start popping at 57 degrees Fahrenheit and the soil temperature, they'll really start flushing at 58, but they'll start at 57. In Oklahoma, I found them generally between 61 and 63 degrees Fahrenheit in soil temperature. So um, again, and that's yellow morels. So 
um, the, the, but porcinis have very specific temperatures, like like all the different. So, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bump the mic. Um, all the different soil-borne uh, mushrooms have very specific temperature ranges, and if it's outside of that by a few degrees, they don't they don't fruit. If it's too hot or too cold, they don't fruit. So, or if it doesn't rain, they don't fruit. So um, you can actually cheat and build. And what I highly recommend to anyone that's actually a, a foraging extensively, build a spreadsheet and map out the different species, the dates you found them and the soil temperature. And you'd be surprised how quickly you can hone in on those and then immediately stop wasting time. Go into an area where you're used to hunting in, stick the thing in the ground and see what the temperature is and immediately know if you're wasting your time or not and move on. You know, keep, keep moving to find the hunting grounds that are good and, and in the right temperature range. And you'd be surprised how much better your mushroom, all of a sudden you go from finding no mushrooms to finding more than you know what to do with. That's awesome, man. Those are such cool tips. And I'm like, you got me excited to learn more because like I said, mushrooms is something I'm super ignorant on, but I, I just would love to learn more. And so I, I'm like a big sponge when it comes to all that sort of stuff, man. I appreciate the tips for sure. This kind of circles back to our earlier discussion about digestive issues. I, I have a lot of digestive issues and I feel like if I can introduce enough foraged foods to my diet, eventually I'll get my microbes back and pot, potentially cure my, my illness, right? So um, that's you know part of my motivation. So that's why I'm, I'm super passionate about foraging plants and mushrooms and anything like that and, and trying to eat as much raw foods as possible and, or, or lightly cooked foods and all that stuff. So su super big on that. But someone else brought up burn sites. Yes. Yeah, so um, not the first year, but the second year on burn sites, uh, second, third and fourth years on burn sites tend to really flush morels. Um, not the first. It takes about a full year before the mycorrhiza fungi can can fully um, uh, take over. But even if you're doing like, um, um, say, for example, if you're doing um, uh, artificial morel growing, which you can do, a lot of people think that morels are only certain time of year you actually can harvest them artificially um, but generally what they do is they'll grow like a wheat grass or not it's not wheat grass it's some other type of grass but they grow this grass up and they'll take a blowtorch and they'll burn it mm. like literally burn it and make like a a, a char layer and then allow it to re-sprout and then that's when the morels will pop i actually know a guy in colorado that grows them that way um for, for commercial production um, but that is one of the ones that, that you do very interesting My buddy asked me to check out his plants. I said, your aphids are starving to death because your spider mites are too thick. Huh? Well, if they have aphids and spider mites in that density, I, I, would, I might agree with you. <laughs> if they're thick, that's a problem. <laughs> Going back to, you know, to circle back on aphids, um, uh, you, you said that you had tons and tons and tons of rove beetles. They are really one of the best, um, um, them and aureus. Uh, rove beetles are phenomenal for root aphids. In fact, uh, for these guys, like we were talking about with the, the porn, the horror porn, how's that for a root aphid infestation? Ah, yikes. There's almost as much biomass of root aphids in that photo as there are roots. Yeah, that... <laughs> so, um, Yowza. yeah, I got a bunch of those, man. I, I, one thing, I, and this is something else, if you're watching this show and you have a grow, an aquaponic cannabis, don't call me once it's gotten that far along. Call me, please, once you've detected it and you're, you've sprayed it for two or three weeks and it's not working. That's the time to call me. That's when I can save your grow. If it gets to that point, 
all I can do is burn it. There's the, the amount of honeydew that those things have shit on that plant completely. You know, I can't sell that. I can't clean it up. It's, it's gone. You know what I mean? It's, and I've had quite a few people. Uh, in fact, I have worse ones than that. <laughs> oh no. Well, I just got to say, man, rove beetles have been huge for me. Rove beetles. I discovered rove beetles a couple of years ago, bought them a couple times, and then they just populated my grow. Um, they've taken over, they do their thing and they're aggressive. They're just super cool. They're always scurrying around in the soil. I always just feel like it makes me feel so confident about soil prep pests, knowing that I've got just like this crew of like these mean looking little beetles down there on patrol all the time. And you can see them, you know, they're, it's not just like in your head, like they're literally there crawling around in the top of the pots for you to see. And so I just, I cannot recommend rove beetles enough. They've been a great, as far as like dealing with any kind of fungus gnats or any kind of pests like that. And I think they work in most types of systems too. Like they're really adaptable to all different kinds of growing from what I've read about them. I've only used them in soil, but um, I've heard about people using them in like rock wall cubes and all kinds of different stuff. There's some, some more lovely aphid pictures. How's ah, that? Yikes. Yeah. You, you're well equipped for this horror show. I think I don't have anything. I, I, you saw my worst. You saw my video of the, of the seed. That's the worst I got, man. These yeah. are bong. These are bong aphids. These are the real bad ones. These ones are the ones that are really, really hard to get rid of. Ugh. Yeah. I'm lucky, man. I have not had to have an account encounter with <laughs> cannabis aphids yet. That's um, have not had that, that run in yet, but I'm, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, but, but that's like, what's so important to try to teach people, right. Is pest prevention. And that is like one good thing I guess I can talk about is I do have a, uh, a pest prevention guide that I wrote. Um, you can get a free pest prevention guide at growerslove.com, or there's actually a short version of it at dudegrows.com slash IPM basics. And it's just a really quick guide. So if you're a home grower and you're like, listen to us and you're like, man, what the heck's IPM? What are these guys talking about? Um, it's just a great way to learn some of the basics of pest prevention and just make sure, because like Steve was saying, once you've got a bad problem, in a lot of cases, it's too late, you know? <laughs> so that's why prevention is so important. It's so much easier to prevent a pest problem than it is to treat a pest problem. So, you know, get out there ahead of it and practice good prevention. Absolutely. And then just, you know, a little bit of basic biosecurity goes a long way. You know, I still see people rolling the sidewalls up on their greenhouses and shit. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? You need to put a barrier. If you've got a greenhouse and you spent that money, like, why are you not putting a barrier up? <laughs> yeah. I mean, smart practices. And like, I mean, one good thing that I remember picking up a few years ago was just remembering to like change your clothes and change your shoes and take a shower before you go into your indoor space. You know, if you're a, if you're out there working in your yard and dealing with plants covered in bugs, and then you, you know, bring that straight indoors, that's like the easiest way to give yourself pests is just to be the carrier yourself, you know? So if you're going from an outdoor, if you went on a hike or if you were, you know, working in your yard, especially like go change clothes, take a shower, wash your hair, you know, and, and clean yourself before you bring pests into your grow and that and bringing in clones. I mean, that was another big thing I learned is so many of the pest problems that I've encountered, you know, you bring them in. Like, like I said, you, you, you bought them, you bought them at the dispensary when you brought home that clone, you know, it came with hitchhikers and those hitchhikers became your pest problem. 
And, you know, so learning to dip clones and learning to do a quarantine in my plants was another really huge tip that I can give just about pest control is whenever you bring home a new clone, you know, especially if it's from a friend or from another grower, even if they say everything's really clean, even if they say they're really on top of things, you know, if you can quarantine that in a small tent or just even a closet for a few days, watch it for a week or two, do some preventative dips on it, do some preventative sprays on it. And just really be sure before you bring that into your main grow and risk, you know, infecting the rest of your plants with something. Sorry, I was uh, typing in chat there to somebody. So we had a question about bong aphids and says, what's the best way to get rid of the, those bong aphids in an indoor space without wasps? And I said, um, wasps don't, I haven't found, so I've tried aphidillus clomani I've tried aphidillus irvi. I've I've thrown everything at at them. <laughs> let's just let's just leave it at that. But of those two, I have found more of the um, uh, inf oh, uh, parasitized ones from the irvi on the cannabis specific ones than the colmeni. Uh, I you know if you're going to spend the money on that route, spend the money on the irvi, not the colmeni, because I haven't seen that many of the the mummies, you know what I mean? Compared to the Irvine um, under microscope. Um, what I have found is knocking them back really hard with a, a, a circulation of Isofuma fumosaria, uh, Bavaria bassiana, and then the two different cultivars that are on the market right now, because there's, oh, I guess there's three different phenos of the um, Bavaria bassiana. You have uh, Ceres, which is different than the one that's from um, a Botanigard ES or a Natralis or Mycotrol O which is a different species. Um, so if you alternate those, you're kind of, you know, throwing a different weapon at it, right? So doing a rotation of those three for a week or two to knock them down and then, you know, bum rushing them with aureus, rove beetles and um, um, uh, Irvine, maybe if you want to do the Irvine, I, I kind of personally, I kind of think they're a waste of money. Um, but the aureus and the rove beetles at that point and just running them out that way with any of the survivors being, you know, picked off by the aureus and the, uh, the rove beetles. And that's how I've managed to get rid of uh, both the bong aphids and the root aphids. Again, it can take two or three months of those treatment. I mean, this is not a, I can show up and fix this right away. This is something that yeah. you're going to fight for a while. This is not an easy thing to solve. And, you, you know, it might take you a while to get to zero. Um, it really is hard to get them all the way to zero. You can get them down, but you'll know that you're making a huge impact because if you have a bad infestation, you'll see the winged adults. Now, let me see if I can, if I have pictures. I think I have pictures of the winged adults in my photos here. Yeah, man, aphids are scary. <laughs> they do all those crazy things. They leave honeydew everywhere and they, and now they fly around like aphids are aphids are trouble. And like I said, that's why prevention is so huge. Like Steve's saying, dealing with a problem is going to take you months, you know, preventing a problem takes you a little bit of work, <laughs> you know, a little bit of work in advance, a little bit of planning. And that's why planning and preparation, doing pest prevention, doing some preventive sprays, using insects preventatively, you know, having rove beetles in there before you have a problem, um, you know, having a good population of rove beetles, I bet would keep you pretty safe from things like root aphids. Um, cause root aphid or rove beetles are just so aggressive and they'll do a real good job. I believe of just keeping as a preventative, especially. So here's another picture of, uh, the other one I'd rec I would recommend that goes to town is lacewing larva. Um, you can see one feeding on a, on a root aphid here. 
and then the the cocoon of the Irvi over there um just you know nice different stuff there but kind of an interesting picture but um, yeah lace wings are cool i just recently released some lace wings and was playing around with some like lace wing eggs just because they were cheap and they were available yeah, they, so i grabbed some lace wing larvae would be the other thing i would recommend for fighting aphids just because they really do go ham, whole ham on them on those little bastards i was trying to find a picture of the different life phases of root aphids i thought i had a picture anyway so we'll I'll, I'll i'll use this picture as an example so it's not perfect, but so um, you can see here we have, this is an adult with the the beige and the green. Mm -hmm. We also have some orange nymphs here. Uh, and then I was trying to find a black and white, and I, I guess there's not one in here, but if you're starting to see black ones that have wings, the winged adults means you have a really high population. The population is so high that they no longer have an adequate food supply and they're looking to colonize a new place. Yikes. If you see winged ones, you have a way worse problem than you think you have. <laughs> or you found the first scout, one or the other. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, yes. that, that's something where you'll know dead right away. But they can look radically different than the life phases of these. So just because it looks different doesn't mean it's not the same thing. And that's something I really want to beat at everyone's heads with the aphids is they can look radically different based on life phase. Um, let me see if I can pull up. A... Yeah, it's so important to try to understand the life cycle of an insect when you're trying to deal with the problem. Like we were talking about my thrips earlier, you know, and thrips are another one that have such a weird life cycle. That's really important to understand that like some species of thrips are laying eggs in the leaves and then they live on the leaves for a little while after they hatch and then they drop down to the soil and live part of their life in the soil and then they come back up to like so understanding the life cycle of the animal you're dealing with or you know the insect you're dealing with is so important so this is what a winged root aphid looks like again basically the the same species but just to give you an idea of how radically different they look in body structure even though it's the same species there you go now that looks nothing like that photo I just showed you. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're looking at something that's way closer to a fungus gnat or, you know, that's something a grower could easily mistake as a fungus gnat. Exactly. Easy mistake for a fungus gnat. Yep. Even though it's not at all. You know, so that's where you really got to be careful when you're microscoping these guys. It's really good to put them in a Ziploc, throw them in the freezer and kill them. And now I can look at them really well under the microscope and I can take pictures like this. You know, when they're dead, they're easier to photograph. You get nice detailed pictures of the head and oh nice. But yeah, those are great shots, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the big things I had to learn about pests at first, you know, is like as a new grower, I remember thinking about pests as like a problem of like chemicals. And I was like, all right, so like, what's the, what's the thing I need to use to beat this problem, you know? And 
after learning more and more, I learned that, you know, knowledge is the thing you need, <laughs> you know, knowledge more than anything is, you know, understanding your enemy, understanding the pest you're dealing with is so key. Otherwise, you know, you're never going to get it right. It's not just about using this product or that product or, you know, it's, it's so much of IPM is about knowledge and, and, you know, you don't have to know everything right away. You just have to get started and start learning. You know, the more you study and the more you watch your plants, the more you, you know, observe as a gardener, the more you start to learn pest control habits and the more you start to learn, you know, different practices and the more you start to be able to identify different insects and different problems and, um, you know, the signs of, of problems before they start too. So that's my biggest advice to a lot of growers, you know, about pest control is you just got to start now and start observing and start learning and, you know, realize that nobody knows everything, but we're all here being students together and, um, you know, just learn what you can and keep moving forward and, and look at every pest situation. Every, you know, another thing I like to tell people too, is every situation in your grow is an opportunity. You know, when you have a nice harvest of cannabis, you'll have a great crop and that'll be one, a lot of fun. But, you know, after that bud's all gone and smoked, the knowledge you gain that crop gets to carry with you, you know, the knowledge you gain each run carries with you to every previous run after that. So I always try to think of knowledge as the main crop in my grow, you know, I'm trying to learn something every run and, you know, hopefully I'll get some good bud too, but, you know, learning something with every crop and getting, picking up some new tips or some new lessons or, you know, whatever it is to keep pushing my knowledge for it has been key for me. And uh, this is a juvenile, that same species, you know, aphids in particular have some pretty radically different morphology that, you know, depending on the, yeah, it's wild. Definitely seen like all kinds of different looking, different looking creatures all come in in the same, just the different parts of the life cycle is wild. Oh yeah. And then your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Those little bastards, the thrips, man. I do not like them. We have lots of reference pictures in our classes. We, Marty and I take tons and tons and tons of pictures of the microscope. So, Yeah, I mean, luckily with thrips, at least that they're not the most damaging to the plant necessarily. I mean, they are a big vector of a lot of other diseases and can cause a lot of other problems, but I'm thankful at least I don't have something that's like, you know, root aphids or, or you know, some other kind of aphids or, uh, russet mites or something like that that's just a lot more devastating to the plant oh yeah for sure do you um uh while we're thinking about it do you have um do you want to plug your uh your instagram or any of your other content you have growerslove.com which we'll, we'll get in the uh the description as well but is there any other things that you wanted to plug while we're uh on the topic of different websites, I just want to say how awesome this Instagram is. It's got tons of good info on there, um, different how-tos, different interviews. He was over on somebody else's show uh, last week over on the... Uh, that was uh, a while ago, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm at growerslove.com is me. That's where you can contact me. I'm also gr at growerslove on Instagram, Cannabuzz, and all your various places. I'm also uh, at Soup the Gardener a lot of places. Um on Instagram and places like that. I have a couple accounts, so you can come find me. Um, 
growerslove.com, like I said, is a launch pad for new growers. So anybody looking to learn more about growing your own, looking to pick up some tips, looking to improve your existing grow, or if you're looking for gear, like I said, I work with some of these top companies in the business, HLG, Gorilla Grow Tent, um, AC Infinity. And I just love trying to help people start their grow and improve their grow. So if I can help you out, definitely get in touch. Um, also hit me up on Dude Grows. I mean, like I said, I'm always over there hanging out, answering questions on the Dude Grows website. Hanging out on the Dude Grows Discord has been my new hangout. Um, we've been doing some voice chat and some other cool stuff over there. Um, yeah, and I just, I really appreciate you having me on and getting to come hang out with you guys. We've had a lot of fun and um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else. You want to tell us about your, you looks like you support autism awareness. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, yeah. So one of the things I was trying to do with Growers Love is, you know, I always say with Growers Love, my kind of little motto I have and what's in the lo logo is learn, love or learn, grow, love and connect. You know, these are the, the kind of the things I've been trying to do with Growers Love. And, and, you know, we've got guides to try to teach you. We've got gear to try to help you grow. But part of, you know, learning to grow for me is, you know, joining the growing community. And so, being able to connect with people like the Dude Grows crew or being able to connect with people on Cannabuzz or other apps like that and on Discord where you can chat with people is really important. So I tried to put some resources on the website so you can connect to different people like that. Um, but then I also tried to put uh, a few different services or not services, but uh, good uh, causes that I like to support. Just so if you guys want to support some other good causes in the community, that's under the love tab. Um, and one cause I've supported a lot over the years, or a little bit, I guess I should say every once in a while, um, is our buddy Jinx Proof, the breeder, has a great program where he is, uh, they, him and his family help, uh, one of the things they do, I believe, is they buy iPads for um, autistic kids who uh, don't have good speech ability or aren't able to communicate through speech. And so they're able to purchase iPads and, and communication software to help parents and kids communicate through an iPad. Um, and so this is kind of a cool thing they've done for a long time. And Jinx Proof also just does a lot to support autism awareness in his community up there in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm not really officially affiliated with it, it or anything. I just think it's a really cool thing he does. Um, he also has a thing where if you donate $20 to autism awareness, he'll send you a really cool little uh, weed leaf um, hat pin um, and from time to time, they've had things on his Instagram where if you donate to them, they'll send you a free pack of seeds um, or just a pack of seeds as a thank you. So the, actually the seeds I showed you tonight, all those plants I showed you in all my pictures um, all came from a pack I got for donating, like I think it was 40 bucks or something like that to, to Jinx Proof's charity. He donated the money and sent me a pack of seeds. So just awesome people all around. One of the reasons I like to support him as a breeder because he's doing good work in the community. So that's something that matters to you. Hop in on it, man. I always like to support good causes in the grow community. And I also want to highlight too, like you're talking about Stony Scholar, man. That was such a bummer to hear that, that, you know, we lost him and I didn't really know him well, but I did get to meet him at one of the DGC cups. And so if you can help support that at all, definitely hop on that and, um, you know, help support his family. Cause that's really a tragedy. And he was a great guy. Thanks for bringing that up again. Again, if anyone is, uh, the link is in the description, but if you do have a couple extra bucks, please donate to the Stony Scholar Relief Fund. He was a really awesome part of our community, a really kind, gentle person, uh, also served in the in the Navy as a veteran. So, um, you know, 
he served us in a lot of ways, uh, not just a cannabis community, but also the country. So if you do have a few extra bucks, his, uh, his wife could really extra, uh, you know, use the extra help. And, um, uh, you know, she's pretty going through a lot right now and, and can really use it. So if you do have a couple extra bucks, again, please donate over there. And uh, we're actually the highest person that donates to the, um, the relief fund, both the PayPal and through uh, GoFundMe. Whoever donates the most, we're going to give a free aquaponic cannabis class too. Um, uh, just nice. as a thank you for supporting the community. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. really good to so try to support things like that i'm really i really a strong believer that we is the the cannabis community our community and we're definitely better when we support each other when we try to you know help each other with our projects and try to support each other when you know tragedies or rough times happen for everybody so um yeah that's kind of why i put that love tab on my website because i really wanted to try to highlight things like that so yeah definitely Um, uh, I had one quick topic I wanted to bring up um, before we uh, start to wind stuff down. Um, there was an interesting thread on the Korean Natural Farming Facebook group this week about mm -hmm. brassicas and or actually using mustard for FPJ. And I wanted to bring up this paper. Um, so this this paper is titled, let me move my thing here so I can read everything. Um, this paper is titled The Invasive Plant Brassica Night Nigra uh, degrades local mycorrhizal mycorrhizas across a wide geographic landscape. And basically the gist of it is, is that the disruption of mycorrhizal fungi that forms symbioses with local native plants is a strategy used by some in invasive exotic plants for competing with their resident communities. Examples would be Alaria petolia or whatever, garlic mustard and black mustard um, not uh, Brassica ni nigra, um, both non-mycorrhizal plants in the family Brassicae. Um, although it is clear evidence for mycorrhizal degradation, it is not known if such an effect is widespread across a naturalized range. Uh, in this study, we tested the ability of black mustard to degrade local mycorrhizal symbiosis and suppress the growth of native flora from across a variety of locations where black mustard has invaded. We found the effects of mycorrhizal fungi and on the growth of native plants were consistently negative at the various sites. The present results indicate that degradation of mycorrhizal symbiosis by black mustard as a general significance may be highly problematic considering the large range it has occupied in open fields across North America. So basically, stop using brassicas for ferments and as a, as a companion plant. It's negatively impacting the beneficial mycorrhizal fungi in your soil and your cannabis grows. It's not a good plant. It's on my list of what Marty and I like to call enemy plants, stuff that's going to either attract insects, vector disease, or directly impact the soil microbes. In this case, directly impacting the soil microbes. Um, um, but the plant's actually giving off toxins in the soil itself to kill off local stuff nearby. Um, you know, they call it uh, allopathy or in, in aquatics, they call it lulopathy, but it's the same thing. Um, they're extruding chemicals to kill off their neighbors. That's why you see, especially in California and Oregon, fields and fields of mustard. Well, yeah, it's killed off everything else. <laughs> That's why there's nothing else there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is easy to see. Anyone that lives in California has already seen the evidence of this, right? Like, I, I don't need to teach you. You've already seen it. You've witnessed it. 
right? So it's something that I think that people need to be much more aware of is that, you know, people are, are especially in the organic community, really love to just ferment literally everything and think that nothing can negatively impact their system. And it can, the same way that you have beneficial insects and predatory insects that attack your plants. Um, same thing with plants. You, you can't ferment and just use any old plant. Some stuff's gonna beneficially stimulate the immune system. Other stuff's gonna, in this case, kill off your mycorrhizal fungi in your grow. So uh, I think we do need to really do much, much, much more research on this particular topic um, not brassicas, but in terms of, you know, what we should and shouldn't be fermenting on the organic side for bioaccumulators and things like that. I do think we're going to find more and more of these that are, you know, directly negatively impacting our grows once we actually throw them under the microscope. Um, so if anyone wants to go, you know, pick this paper up, but this paper's from 2015. It's not even a recent paper. Um, but, but just to show people, because I got into a debate with someone today and it was like, I was like, this is proven science. I mean, this is going back, what, six years now that this has been proven that, that um, brassicas negatively impact soil mycorrhizal health. And it's something that I, you know, I, I got, you know, I love my, my living soil guys and friends uh, to death. I'm a huge believer in living soil in the upper part of dual root zones, but you gotta make, you gotta you manage them properly. And, and brassicas are, are not on the list of things that you should be putting in your grow. And there's evidence for that. Not Agreed. just me being a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, I think you bring up a lot of really good points there. And just thinking of, you know, how we, we tend to assume sometimes as organic people that like, yeah, more plants is good, you know, or like more plant stuff is good plant stuff. And it's not all good guys, or it's not all, you know, it's, it's complicated, you know, and, and unfortunately it's complicated. I wish it was really easy to, and straightforward as, you know, everything's good or everything's bad, but um, you know, I think we tend to forget sometimes that there's a whole ecosystem of stuff going on out there where, you know, plants are fighting each other and animals are fighting each other. And, you know, it's a war zone out there, you know, and I remember, I forget what kind of plant it is, but there's one kind of flower I had growing in one of the, the yards of a house I lived at where you cut into the roots, you get a, uh, this wicked, crazy sulfur garlic smell. And it's like coming straight out of the roots if you and I believe it's like a pest response thing where it's it's actually pumping out chemicals through the roots but it's like, yeah we don't know how all that sort of crazy biology happening under the soil like there's so much we don't know, you know and 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 you we do know about brassicas though like you pointed out you know that's something that we have studied and something that is out there that you know, certain plants like those mustards and things like that do really impact the ability of other plants to grow and well yeah, I think and it's really good that. to point that out. And sometimes you can use that to your advantage. So let, let's talk about how that could be used uh, as a soil grower, as a benefit. Um, uh, so um, we, you could intersperse, say, say for example, I'm in, uh, I've grown in San Diego. In San Diego, we have those damn pocket gophers, okay? Um, uh, so those pocket gophers, um, uh, they, they love to chew on cannabis roots, right? And we all hate them little bastards. But if I plant ground cherries, or a ground creeping tomato and it puts those roots down. Well, tomato nightshade roots have histamine in them, which causes mm. a histamine response when those little bastards chew into the roots. Uh, and it causes their, you know, same way it causes a histamine response in humans. Um, mm. So it causes them to, 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 you know, pour out on that. So um, uh, you can actually intersperse ground cherries and, and other nightshades with your cannabis. Now, just remember that you're, you're potentially vectoring disease, that nightshades are very close to uh, cannabis in terms of genetics and can vector disease. But 
Um, someone else brought up in here that there's some other, you know, soil people that are, are talked very highly on mustards. You know, I, I think that in terms of if you're looking at those mustards from a purely bioaccumulator standpoint, their, their points are valid. And also, look, we do not know the answer to what part of the brassica is actually making it uh, fucking up the fungi, right? It could be that that compound is only found in the roots and that the upper part of the plant is perfectly safe to ferment, right? But until someone's figured that out, I think, and the, the evidence is that brassicas reduce fungi, it's not worth the gamble if you're if you're an organic grower when there's literally thousands of other plants that you could put in as, a, as either a ferment, a bioaccumulator, or a, a, a companion plant that there's simply no reason to gamble. It, it just doesn't make any sense uh, to me to do that. Even if you have a ton of it around, it's not worth the liability in my opinion. Um, uh, uh, someone else, the other thing I will also mention in brassicas, brassicas love to, and someone brought it us up in chat, love to accumulate heavy metals and things like fluoride. Um, if you have high fluoride levels in your soil, brassicas are great for bioaccumulating that out um, and, and pulling a lot of that stuff out. So that's another great point with the brassicas is that depending on how screwed up your soil is, it might not be a good thing to necessarily throw back into your compost either. Um, because of what it's pulling out. You might want to put that baby in the corner where you're not growing vegetables. Maybe put it in your flower garden or something instead. Yeah, I think it's just really important, like I said, to keep in mind all this stuff is an ecosystem. You know, there's always like a lot more going on than we necessarily understand. And another good point you brought up there that I just kind of want to touch on is like, you know, anytime you plant, a, you know, you add a new plant to your garden, you're adding a new potential pest host. You know, so like using things like nightshades to, you know, deal with a, a gopher problem or whatever, or, you know, using mulch and cover crops and stuff like I'm doing in my indoor grow is great. But you also have to keep in mind that those are plants that could, you know, potentially develop pest problems too. So that becomes a new part of the ecosystem where you as the farmer, or you as the grower have to manage it. So, you know, I think a lot of times people, in the organic community can get carried away sometimes thinking like, well, I know the, the solution is more plants. I'll do, you know, and, and diversity is good, you know, but you also have to keep in mind that anytime you add new things to the, to your system, you're adding a new, you know, potential problem, <laughs> you know, you're adding a new thing you have to take care of. Um, so just something to keep in mind if you're using plants or using cover crops or using other things in your garden for different purposes is that may become a, a, a vector for pests or problems. I uh, threw that brassica white. There's a bunch of people in chat asking for a link to that paper. I threw it in the description. So if you're looking for that brassica white paper, you can click on the link. Or if you're listening to this in audio format, it will be in the link uh, for the description if you need that. Um, and that, that paper was done by uh, uh, University of British Columbia. Uh, so it's published by the Royal, Sci Royal Society of Open Science uh, just uh, in 2015. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where I think that there's, a, you know, sometimes we like to think that this is being so simple and it's not, you know, really as simple as we like to think it is, or we like to think of it as that everything's benefiting each other and it's not like, I think that you, you very eloquently put it um, or put earlier, um, everything's at war with each other. They're competing for those nutrients, right? If they're not exchanging them, they're fighting for them. Um, think about a re and, and, and a great translation to, to what's going on in the root system of forest is a, a, a reef in saltwater, 
Okay. If you go out onto a, anyone that's that's a snorkeled or, or scuba dived a reef at night knows, uh, or anyone that's had a reef tank knows, uh, at nighttime, what do those, those corals do? They send out weapon tentacles that to kill their neighbors. They release lilopathy, chemical weapons, to kill their neighbors, to, to kill off the coral growing next to them so they can take over that area and get the sun from there, right? Roots do the same thing. <laughs> roots, if they're competing for those exact same things, will try to kill each other, right? Certain plants will, not all plants, but certain plants will directly try to murder each other in the root zone, right? And we need to remember that and, and, and exclude those plants that are going to cause drama and cause problems in the root system of those, um, uh, when we're, especially when we're doing companion planting and we're trying to do living soil and we're trying to really maximize all these different webs, you gotta exclude a few. Um, the same way that you got to exclude a few, you know, bad apples from society, you know, they end up in jail or, you know, whatever the fitting punishment is for their crime. The same thing with the, with, you know, your garden, right? If something's not playing with everyone else nicely, remove them. <laughs> but I think that, you know, that's something that isn't talked about a lot in, in a lot of the organic talks is that there is negative things going on too. It's not all just a, you know, a party where everyone's getting along well. And it's, you know, it was a great point. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up before we wrap up here? Uh, I wanted to just talk about that one topic outside of what you had, but uh, you have really wonderful content over there on Dude Grows. And um, in fact, let me, uh, I pulled up one or two of them while we were talking. Um, you got your, your living soil bed stuff here, and uh, you really have a, a great list of, um, you know, measurements and reference stuff and, you know, the different fabrics and different frames and, you know, you really have just a wonderful in-depth guide with different pricing and, and stuff like that. So you really put a lot of time into that. So uh, thanks for all the effort that you did on that and, uh, and, and what a great job that you did. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I just, I love trying to teach people. And when I can do these really cool projects and share them with people, it's a lot of fun. And through working with the DGC, I've been able to connect with a lot of cool companies and a lot of different people have, you know, I've had a lot of cool opportunities to build neat stuff like this. So being able to share it with the crew and teach the crew how to do this stuff has been kind of a dream for me. And it's been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I guess all I have left to say is, you know, grow your own, you know, like I've been saying all night, uh, and this has kind of been my, my soapbox I stand on these days is just, you know, like there's never been a better time to get started growing your own. Um, the equipment is so much easier than ever before. The support is so much better than before. There's a group of people here who just want to be your friend and help you learn how to grow great cannabis at home. Like the Dude Grows community, like the Potent Ponics community, like there's so many great communities out there and there's so much great knowledge and people just working really hard to show you how fun and easy it is to grow your own cannabis at home. So just dive the heck in. There's never been a better time to get started. And if I can help you out, you know, like I said, growerslove.com, I'm trying to build a launch pad for new growers. So there's guides, there's gear, there's grow tips, all kinds of other information there. And if I can help you out too, I mean, I'm always available through the contact there or people hit me up on social media. I'm always trying to help people start grow tents. So if I can help you with a project like that, or if you know, I, you're, you're trying to get a grow started and want to chat with someone about it, I'm always happy to talk. So, um, you know, grow your own. <laughs> yes, that's my big, uh, my big promotion. That's all I need to promote. And then do you want to uh, uh, plug your, uh, your uh, handles and your website one last time here before we wrap up? 
Yeah. So I'm at Growers Love or at Soup the Gardener on Instagram. Um, I'm at Soup on Cannabuzz or at Growers Love also on Cannabuzz. Um, I'm growerslove.com is my website. There's a nice big contact thing there where you can hit that and uh, get in touch with me if you want to talk with me. Um, and you can look for my stuff on uh, dudegrows.com. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the DGC guides and I'm always hanging out over there answering grow questions, helping in the grow community. And uh, yeah, come join the party. Like I said, grow your own and um, if I can help get in touch. Awesome. Well, I very much appreciate you coming on the show and educating uh, myself and our listeners on all the wonderful content you're putting out there. And thanks for all the awesome work you put in for the community and the do grows and, and all the different stuff over the years. You know, uh, if it wasn't for people like you, we wouldn't have the community that we have today. So, Well, thanks, man. And thank you for all you do. Like I said, I've been a big fan of the show for a long time and uh, it was really fun to get to come on and talk with you. Like, like I said, I've listened to many shows over the years and learned a lot from listening to you guys talk about aquaponics. So um, it's been great to be on. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, right on, man. Thank you. And thank you to everybody in the chat too, for joining us. Cheers. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks. Uh, that was a really great interview with Soup. And um, if you guys are looking for more uh, educational content, you can check out Marty and I's uh, online class over apmjclass.com. We have over uh, over 600 slide uh, class, about 635 slides right now and counting um, with lots of um, build videos, how to's, um, uh, gross, uh, commercial grow tours and all different types of cool stuff. Uh, lots of really great content on there. Um, be sure to check that out if you're looking for more educational content. Uh, we will be doing a sale the 13th through the 20th. Uh, we will be doing, a, I, I got to double check with Marty on how much we're going to take off the class, but we'll be doing another big sale on the class there uh, coming up here next week. Uh, and then we also have uh, truenude.com. Uh, we have veg and flower kits specifically designed for aquaponics. Uh, you know, you can pop on and figure out, okay, we got four weeks of veg and then, um, you know, how many gallons, you know, 250 gallon system. You can pick your weeks of flower and it'll, it'll send you all a bunch of packets. So you have a pa packet to tear open once a week um, and, um, you know, fix all your nutrient problems. You can see here unsupplemented versus supplemented. Uh, I think you guys could figure out which one you'd rather have in your grow between those two. <laughs> uh, I don't think I need to explain that one, um, <coughs> but really just try to make it simple. We have a subscription service if you want us to handle all the dosing for you. Uh, or you can go ahead and buy all the nutrients on your own. Uh, we do sell them in uh, one pound and four pound packs uh, for all the different stuff that you need uh, for aquaponic fish safe nutrients. So if you're looking for that, you can check that out there. Uh, and again, if you haven't had a chance to uh, one last time, um, if you do have a couple extra bucks, please donate over to the Sterney Scholar Relief Fund. His wife could use the extra money right now uh, to help out with the different funds. He was a really great part of our community and can use the extra money. So th thanks if you're able to donate. Um, so thanks everybody for watching the show. You can find out more information from me on uh, Potent Ponics at so, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, PotentPonics.com. Uh, a ton of info on Potent Ponics on YouTube. We have a bunch of pest, uh, pest guides and a bunch of other stuff. Um, I'll be working on a couple of new series here coming up soon uh, that we'll be releasing. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thanks, Soup, again for coming on. Uh, Marty's information is... Uh, AP meds. Marty's got a, a bunch of stuff going on outside of the, the podcast this, this week or two. Uh, so we wish him luck with his uh, tribulations, but um, um, 
yeah, so uh, thanks a lot for watching and we'll see you guys again next week.